Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. My name is Dave Deacon. It is episode 104, so thank you for making your way back. While I have you here, go ahead and hit the subscribe button on your streaming service so you will be the first to know when a new Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast drops. We are coming to you from what is kind of becoming our usual stomping ground now, Dr. Jason Warren's research lab on the agronomy farm at Oklahoma State University. In this episode of the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast, the scientists, Josh, Jason, and Brian, take a look at liquid application methods. They also weigh in on if this is a good year to fallow the ground. But first, the scientists look at planting dates and really if there's any reason to follow them. If you would like to ask the group a question, then jump over to reddirtagronomy.com and leave your question there or send us an email directly, podcast at reddirtagronomy.com, and we will discuss your question on the podcast. So, without further ado, let's just dive in feet first with a discussion about what is happening right now in the crops world across the Southern Great Plains, and you are listening to the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. So we got a little bit of rain. The world is great, and uh, everything is is growing across the Southern Great Plains. Things are coming out of dormancy. Things will be going into the ground. Who wants to take the ball with this one and run with it? Jason, you looked at me. I'm sorry. Everybody, it's just it's just like class. Everybody is diverting their eyes, and you know we're we're, we're actually you know making eye contact. So yeah. well, the rain was good. The yeah. guys out in the Panhandle didn't get much. Right. The guys down southwest didn't get much. There's you need to phone. take that. I'm speaking of the panhandle. No, he called me too. <laughs> <clears throat> but, but yeah, we're we're uh, we're getting in better shape, I guess, as far as moisture is concerned. Every little bit is going to help. Yeah. Every rain from here on out on the wheat is going to be a big rain. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and we're going we're we're going into April, and that's that's usually where a lot of the rain yeah starts coming in. I hope. Hopefully. Yeah, April showers bring May flowers. I think I that's how it goes. <laughs> that's what we used to always <laughs> say when I was a kid. Uh, but, yeah, and it's critical for the week because, uh, you know, you're starting to see it joint and start right. to stand up and get to growing, and that's when it uses all its water. It really doesn't use a whole lot of water all winter long, and then now it's going to start pumping it out of the ground pretty quick. Right. Okay. So, J- uh, Josh, where are we at with uh, with with – thinking about summer crops you know that's that's the funny thing is we're we're about the time of year where where we start getting a lot of calls on you know when we're going to start planting and stuff like that and uh you know everybody kind of looks at how warm we've been and i'll use air quotes here so you know that way you can you know see my air quotes on the podcast (laughs) And, and we've had some nice warm days but man we have not been warm yeah uh, and looking at soil temperatures today, the three-day soil temperature is still in the, the high 40s for a bulk majority of the state. And, you know, we, we have these systems in Oklahoma, these early planted beans that growers go in first of April, late March, and go in with group threes, trying to beat the, the heat and dry down during the hottest time of the year. And, and you know, some years that's a, one of our best soybean systems out yeah. on the western side of the state. And I don't know if that's just going to be an option this year. Mm-hmm. We have these these – I mean, we're cooler – at least our yeah. soil temperatures seem cooler than, than normal, and, and, you know, by about this point in time, we're typically planting southwest Oklahoma, and it's still in the right at 50, mm-hmm. if if at all. And, and you know, looking at the 10-day forecast, they're, they're calling for us to be cooler than normal. So, 
while while these rains are, you know, I know there's a lot of folks, especially that have these acres that either a didn't get planted wheat because we right. were dry, and you know we had that very narrow range, or you know a lot of folks that maybe have caught these last couple of rains that are, um, you know either disastered out wheat or will be disastering out wheat, you know, chomping at the bit, plant summer crops. But I know the calendar says it's the right time. I just don't know if it's the right time right now to be planting summer crops. Well, and you've done. Well, well, and with the exception of corn. Right. I I think it's about time we start getting planters moving on corn. But, I mean, we're just at that point. I don't think we've been at that point. I think we're just at that point. You've Um, done a lot of research into planting dates of different crops or do, do you see any any benefits to the to the planting dates i mean, I mean they, they do but mm-hmm. you know that's it's a it's a flaw within our research system right um april 13th this year is not april 13th last year right right um and i think looking at the conditions associated and i i talk to my graduate students all the time and and uh, you have to look at the restraints of your project mm-hmm. and it's not that the fact that mid-april did it it's that Mid-April, when we had warm temperatures and good soil moisture, was successful. Just like I, I just said, we have a soybean system that we can plant in late March, and it'd be very successful. Actually, you know, the surprising thing, Dave, you know the critical soil temperature for planting soybean. You no. know when soybean will come out of the ground? 50 degrees. It's the okay. same as corn. Okay. Do we plant it at that? Rarely. <laughs> Rarely ever. No. Let's get her done. Just do and, it. And, and I like to see more on 60s because we have seen more early season damping off. We have seen more um, issues to where we get cotyledons out of the ground and those soybeans just kind of sit there and we get these heavy rains and they splash soil up on top of the ground or up on top of the leaves and we don't have the temperatures to dry them off and those, those soybeans just end up failing to right. disease. Yeah. So. And if it we, freezes, it's done. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yep. another good point. Yeah. Is is yep. while while Corn, Easter, you know, we freeze. we say the yeah. Easter freeze, and that's just around the corner. You know, it's an early Easter this year, but still, I mean, we're we're still at a, a tempting Mother Nature with with saying it ain't going to freeze again this year because. Yeah, even well, though we'll it's, it's mid eighties, the difference. Why can't soybean take a freeze and corn can just to kind of. Well, I mean the the overall long long and the short of it is is most of our crops that are are broad leaves are are dicots are they have that growing point above the soil surface, and so when that growing point is above the soil surface, that soil no longer can kind of insulate that growing point, and so air temperature equals uh, the death or not when whenever you have something like corn, sorghum, wheat, you know something like that when the growing point is below ground for a, a at least a month of the, the season, mm-hmm. then that ground, that soil temperature, especially if you have good soil moisture, insulates that growth point. So soil temperature more than plays a role in, in killing. And, and we can get air temperature get down into the world, especially if we have a crop up. But the the other big thing is is oftentimes on corn, we expend so little energy getting those first that first true leaf up that um, even if you kill off all that top matter, we have typically enough energy in that large seeded corn crop to get more leaves to come out. As long as that cold temperature didn't sink down to that growth point and actually kill that growth point, we'll, we'll get something back there. Well, and one point to that is every, w- w- water freezes at 32, but that's measured at usually three feet high. The mm-hmm. air temperature is going to be different down yeah. at the ground on that too. For sure. Uh, and, you know, back when we were looking at cold tolerance and, like, freeze damage on canola, we studied some of that. I had a student that kind of looked into it, and 
This is using thermal cameras to look at soil temperature. And it's, you know, if you have a calm night and it's cool, right? you can have freezing temperatures at the ground. Yeah. And then whether you have residue or, you know, cultivated soil radiating heat back off mm-hmm. the ground, that changes things. And, and so it's not just 32 degrees at three feet. Yeah. It's what, what, how cold is the ground, how cold is the air settling onto the ground. Right going to get at the growing point yeah yeah well and that's that's why we often see you know especially uh you know if you look back on the wheat uh this last year we have some portions of the field that mm-hmm. die and some portions that don't is because you know th- just the way air settles right uh just in that in that mixed topography so it, it can it can be a coarse thing you know me and me and jason we like to argue sometimes he's really? got it, sometimes he's got a little place uh you know, in north central Oklahoma, and, and last year he went in, and I told him, hey, you probably don't need to be planting sorghum this early. I think it wasn't it the first week in April? Yeah, it was the you 9th went... of April. <laughs> and I, I told I him, corn, don't. I planted corn one weekend, and then I went out and planted milo the I, next I, weekend. I told him, you don't need to be planting this. He goes, I, you know, it's got to rain this weekend, so I'm going to plant it. <laughs> and and I tell you, I mean, it worked. Mm-hmm. And, and he had a nice crop because of it. And, um, you know, it's it's just an interesting thing is, you know, it's it's uh, some of us are a little more conservative and some of us aren't. Um, I, I, I often tell growers, you know, I, I get good general consensus on on good time to plant and not. Um, but it's your system. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to make that decision. I can I can give you a couple options, but but overall, y- you know, you have to live with the decisions you make. I can help you. But in the end, it's it's your decision, and and uh, most of the time, the growers know those those risks and rewards, and and uh, sometimes the risk is like Jason last year. Sometimes that risk was just enough to make, right. and um, you know it's it's getting to be that time with um, the the conditions that we have, and and you know looking at the forecast, the rain looks a lot friendlier than it did. A month ago, yeah. but I mean, we could literally go two weeks from now and not get another rain in, until June, um, and, and and the decisions that our growers are having to make right now are, are some of the more challenging ones because once you get a crop in, you know, you can make those decisions. But getting that crop in is is probably one of the riskiest, but rewarding yes. decisions you can make. <laughs> it's, it's just it's a big challenge, and and there's no right or wrong answer. Um, and, and overall, I think that's, uh, you know, it's admirable that they're going to, that they're having to make it. And I mean, that's why we've stopped doing less and less. Have we, have we done like planning date trials? Right. Uh, a lot of our trials look at, um, before, before optimum or after optimum. So like right now, if I were to go in and plant a soybean trial and I would plant it tomorrow, this would be considered before optimum because if a grower came to me and said, should I plant? I would, I would say, no, it's, it's too, it's too early. So this is that before optimum. Does that optimum date change throughout the years? Does it change uh, throughout the, 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 the different varieties of a plant? I mean, does you, you, you planted sorghum on this date for 40 years, but really, you know, you found research that maybe it should be pushed back due to whatever in the in the world but it's it it needs to be pushed back three days or whatever in the in the in the perfect optimum world yeah and and i think i think uh the the chance of like that first 
It's just that first person that rolls the dice and tries yeah. it. Jason, talk about how Sorghum has always planted the first week of June. Until these last couple of years, then we've seen a good chunk of people starting that last week in May. And yeah. we've even seen some people the, the second or third week in May in, in the panhandle plant Sorghum, and some of them have been successful. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, in the panhandle, we always plant the first June. And, you know, we used to have an agronomist that'd say avoid may like the plague for oh. planting anything yeah. in the panhandle and we used to plant corn in april mm-hmm. and then plant milo in may and what growers are telling us is they're having better success getting the milo out of the ground the last few yeah. years because you know they've been going back into drought for the last two years i'd say they've had some success you know last year was a phenomenal irrigated corn year but for dry land stuff, further west you go, you got smoke. But if you get it in a little early into the ground where it's moist instead of hitting the heat in June, then they do pretty good. And then the thing about corn, we've, uh, you know, so they're moving stuff into May, partly because of time management and partly because of, you know, better planting conditions. And then like with the corn, we've moved that from April 15th to about the first week of May and it's all about water to get like right now they're drying a popcorn fart in the panhandle if you wanted to plant corn two weeks from now you need to pre-irrigate and then you're going to keep irrigating until it starts raining and you and if we push it into may a little bit we might start catching some rains because that's a rainy season and some even downstate you know 20 years ago everybody planted milo in june and now you know that that's not optimum for full season milo because you can push it back into early may middle april as soon as you're frost free and you can get it out of the ground and catch all those spring rains it depends on you know those optimums depend on where your water is in my of course i'm a soil water guy but like when your rainfall is going to hit out in a panhandle it's the middle of summer downstate it's through the spring and then you're going to run out of gas in august on average but sometimes how much, how much of rain. the how much of that June and the old stuff was that's when they were available. They just kind of roll through one thing, one thing, one thing, and then hit June. Or was it actually? I don't know. I think there, there to some extent there's a per, like when I talk to my family, like my dad, and my father-in-law, and like even like forage sorghum. You know, they want to wait till June to plant mm-hmm. because they think that's when the soil temperatures right. Mm-hmm. And I mean. I don't know if the genetics changed or what, but we can get it out well, of the ground well, in and, April. And, and and you see, it's it's all about it's all about risk, and what your risk is. And like you said, water is one of the big ones, especially in Oklahoma. We talk about it all the time. But going back to what you you said, Brian, is you know you talk to the folks that have been growing out in the Panhandle sorghum for a number of years, and they always say that we they have a rainy season and a non rainy <laughs> season. And you know, that's probably you know. Uh, you have to take that to a grain of salt what you consider a rainy season out there but it, it's it's very true we we typically would you know uh four or five six years ago get those august september rains which that's if you waited until mid-june to plant your sorghum out there that's when you'd start heading and that's when you'd mm-hmm. fill grain and that's kind of when you wanted that moisture to come around and so it it was there well the last three years we haven't had that no. We've been very dry in August and September and very hot mm-hmm. as well. I mean, those 100-degree temperatures, you know, I remember growing up in Oklahoma, it was 
end of June through all of July, we were 100 degrees. Well, we're getting, as I remember, we're getting a lot more 100 degrees in August and even into September than than I remember growing up. Now, that could have just been a falsehood of me not knowing any better, but I I have a feeling we're we're getting hotter and drier a little bit later when that typical rainy season out there uh, occurs. And so, but, but you also have other things. You have aphids to worry about. You have weed dynamics to worry about and you have aphids is a big deal of it you, yeah yeah of course we've kind of bu- knocked that back quite a bit but yeah that that beat up a lot of late planted milo well but but you're starting to see a lot more of that come back yeah and, well and, and that's why i and, say they've done a good job with the genetics and holding it back in texas right yeah well and the <clears> other <throat> thing is is uh, i think a lot of it depends on the wheat mm-hmm <laughs> Uh, you know, last year we were talking about, well, how quickly can I terminate my wheat and get a summer crop in? Well, this year, all those terminated fields, if they look good, ain't those ain't getting terminated. Right. And so it's, you know, we're going to see a shift. I think we'll see a, a shift to, if we get rain in June, we'll see some good amount of double crop acres that we didn't have. If we don't get a rain, we'll just go into wheat next year because if this price holds, it's it's a <laughs> right. lot better to roll the mm-hmm. dice on wheat than it is on on you know soybean and and June planted soybean or sorghum when it's not raining. So, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, Josh, can you give a, a little bit because you did some really fun germination temperature stuff on sorghum. Can you kind of give a little yeah we brief on that? We run it every every about two or three years. We look at cold soil germination and. Uh, this is to answer that question, like how early in April, go back to your decision It's it or your discussion, Dave, it's it's not necessarily in April, it's just these are the temperatures we get in April typically on how early. We typically like to see sorghum go to 60 degrees soil temperature and be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people that want to plant at 58, uh, and, and kind of like what you were saying, 58 just doesn't seem like, that's just a couple days, but a couple days a week can be the difference on a failure and a, and a disaster or a failure and a success, I, I should say. And so once we once we found, I think about 90% of our varieties we tested were good at 58. Mm-hmm. So then we went down to 55, <laughs> you know, and then, then when we did that, it was, can we get it at 50, you know, and it just kind of that, that, that ratcheted down. And I actually showed a, a, a picture that University of Nebraska showed uh, today, and it was on soybeans, it wasn't on sorghum, but it's the same thing as, is a lot of our summer crops, the earlier we plant, the, the more warming warming trends we need. Um, and and whenever whenever soybeans were planted at 60 degrees for 72 hours, uh, they had a, about three-quarters of the soybeans at least starting to grow root. Uh, whenever they put it at 40 degrees, they had... They had a, about a quarter showing a root. Three quarters of it hadn't hadn't grown at all, and so that's that's one thing we don't want. It, it's great to push the envelope and see what varieties we can go, but eventually, at some point in time, it's just it's just plain too cold, and you know, and and it's not necessarily for me to decide. That's why we run it all the way down to fifty. Right. right. But but the risk that you carry sometimes is is it worth it and. What, what, one thing I've always thought of was the germination. I mean, that, that's why you plant on this date, so that way it, it has the temperature to grow and become that plant. But you also have aphids to think about, insect pressure. You have moisture. You have all of that after that. So, I mean, there, there, there is that variability that goes into 
adjusting a a planting date or a, a, a perfect condition for the plant to be. Well, and, and the good thing is on something like corn and sorghum, you can use degree days on average to say, when am I going to hit these critical stages right. that moisture is going to be an issue? Yeah. And then say to yourself, okay, if I plant now, typical degree days means that July 14th, I'm going to hit tassel. Is that okay? You know, right. I, I need to make that decision and then kind of move it around based on, on that. That way you can kind of take advantage. But once again, that's just, that's estimating. Yeah. You know, the only thing we can work on is looking at Mesnet saying this is the three day soil temperature going out and getting a soil temp or a soil probe and putting it into the ground saying it's cold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the only good data we have is what's happening right now because in the future, we don't know. <laughs> well, and that's the brutal thing, man. Like, I've been here for 15 years. I grew up out in western Oklahoma, and I still don't know when the hell the weather's going to do. I mean, and, and years ago, that we there was some folks talking about, you know, climate change and how the weather shifted and we're going from a mono or uh, from a bimodal rainfall pattern, meaning that it's going to rain in the spring and rain in the fall, and then we're going to go into monomodal where it's just going to rain in the summer. And then, like, the next year, it rained in the spring and rained in the fall. It didn't rain all summer. I mean, every year is so much different. And that's where I I think I agree 100% is you have to play the odds, and the best thing you can do is get it out of the ground and then hope that it falls the way it falls. Well, and you've got a good, strong, healthy plan out there yeah. during stressful periods. Well, and a couple of things. One, this is – these years like this year is one of the worst years because, you know, we're transitioning between, you know, our La Nina, El Nino. This is a transition year, which, you know, Gary McManus came and talked at the panhandle and said, basically, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, it's it's not supposed to do what it's doing right now. He and, drove all that way just to well, go, he did I don't it know on what's Zoom. going on. He okay. did it on Zoom. He, he said that, you know, he did it on Zoom. He had other things that the growers thought that, they didn't. They didn't want to revolt, and you know he didn't want to be there for the revolt. I don't he, blame him. But but you you have that, and then you know an issue we've had the last couple of years is getting too much growth on our summer crop. Yeah. You know we had it last year. We had a lot of soybeans that looked excellent in August because yeah. they look like we're in the middle of Iowa, oh, and yeah. and in a good year that's great. Mm -hmm. That's the way we get eighty bushel beans. But in a year like last year when the moisture shut off. That's some of the more bushel beans. <laughs> some of the more moderate soybeans and sorghum and corn l ended up yielding a lot better because we didn't have to hold that big gigantic biomass um and, and and that's another big thing is the earlier we plant we take advantage of these these really cooler temperatures this good moisture and we can get a tremendous plant on us yeah in Oklahoma sometimes we don't want a tremendous plant yeah. that's true. you know it's it's one of those things plant. we we have to kind of uh, you know, ratchet it down uh, one or two. I know it looks like Ames sometimes around here, but we're not Ames. <laughs> and so um, it, it's another thing that you have to think about is that if I plant early and the temperatures continue on the two- and three-week forecast the way that they're forecasted, man, it could be really good, but it, it, am, am I going to be able to support all that biomass at the later end? And once again, I, I don't want to not have a good-looking crop going into summer, but Sometimes, like the last couple of years, man, it's came back and bit us in some some instances. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've seen the same thing with beans when I was doing a lot of early season fertility work, a lot of starter work. Is yeah. that, and this was before. I mean, this would have been like eight nine years ago, where 
get the beans in, lay lots of fertility down on the starter, and we come into, you know, late our and it's rode over. Everything looks huge. The old check plots are small and everything, and then we bring the combine in, and the checks are cutting sixty, and everything is big and viney, and and all that extra fertility is cutting twenty five and thirty. Yeah. Wow! And yeah. it, and it was that. We mm. just had that that rank growth that never support in a dry land system or rain fed system. Yeah, yeah, that's brutal. But then if it rained, it'd been awesome. What'd you do with that data? It's sitting on a shelf, man. <laughs> Fertilizer, <laughs> fertilizers yeah. inversely proportional to yield. Published in a thesis. Actually, did did we get that starter in out yeah. in a paper? Yeah. yeah. It's peer review published too, boy. <laughs> mm. <laughs> wow, you Take went all that. the way with that. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> but it it is that it is that back and forth, and it's I mean there's no there's no easy way to it, and and it's you know we sat here and we've talked for a long time about when we've done it and when we haven't. And we're we're probably st- sitting at the same situation we were mm. before we even started talking. To, I don't know. Right. Well, but 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 I hold to the thing of that the only data we can go off of and, and be consistent with is what Mesonet says it's been and what you can what you know it is right now and that's what you have to go off of. I don't know. It goes back to like our very first podcast where we talked about the value of diversification. Yeah. Is is switching up. I mean this might be your risk with a few acres early. See what happens. Yeah. Plant often. Plant often. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you select those those crops that can come out of the ground, start planting them, and then plant a little this, plant a little that. Just don't do stupid stuff. Like <laughs> Edward, can you define that? J- Jeff Edwards, he told me years ago. I told him, I was like, yeah, we should, you know, do some planting date stuff stuff on wheat. And he looked at me, and he'd been here, you know, five, ten years before that. <laughs> and he's like, I'm not doing that. And I said, why not? It would be good. He's like, I could do that for 10 years in 10 locations all over the state. And I still wouldn't get, be able to tell you the exact, you know, planting date. And yeah. it just, you can, you can tell them a good window, yeah, but not an exact date. And it, because it comes down to like, what's going to happen next and what has happened already. When it, it goes back to what we do is, is looking at, Suboptimum planning and optimum planning because it's a, you know, eventually over a couple of years, they'll be able to say, hey, there's a risk associated, and that risk is typically five bushel. Yeah. You know, but in a good year, it, it works yeah. great, man. I know. <laughs> well, and the thing is, too, like, uh, like up where my wife's farm is, you know, I had growers tell me, it's like, yeah, it's just so hard to plant, you know, because it get wet and it stays wet. And I, that's a freaking fact. And, you know, if you're in an environment where it stays wet and it, you keep mud holes around, and especially with big equipment, you know, lot, small equipment, you can just go around the mud holes and be just fine. But you're running, you know, 40 rows wide, it's advantageous to wait until it dries out. But if it rains every week, you're out of luck because the mud holes are not going to dry out. You're just going to have to roll around them. And, and so there's a lot of things like that that you have to consider when you start looking at planting and getting things done, you may not always be able to wait till optimum. Here, here's or you might be waiting till suboptimum. Along the lines, let's let's play with the transition of north central. Do you make a call right now on what you plant based upon subsoil moisture, or is it whatever you've got planned? Versus, if you're looking at corn, rain-fed 
corn, sorghum, soy? Are you playing the market? Are you playing your soil soil type, the farm type? What what are you you dialing in for a specific field if you're if you're making that call? Or would you change if you had a plan for corn? Is there something that changed your mind? Well, for me personally, I've already changed my mind. I'm not planting corn. Uh, well, why? because I don't want to buy fertilizer. Um, <laughs> well, I think and, that's a good point to, this year. And, and I see where I'm at is the soil moisture is de- a little deficit for me to make a break-even corn yield. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to wait and plant beans. And if I zero out, I'll have less money in them. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at. But if I'm a larger farmer, all those most of those decisions have been made, right? right? And it just comes down to what fields am I to plant? What where is the highest likelihood of success? I'm gonna put my effort in that, and then just give her hell on everything else. Yep. Well, I I think I think that goes back to uh, playing your crop rotations versus versus not mm-hmm. as well. This first thing we kind of talked about when we did the first one is is you know the value of of the crop rotation, and if it doesn't work, then you know, yeah. you got to just maintain that and whether that is going to a forge or something like that. But I think struggling to find that, that, that next hit, yo, I, I, I want to do corn, but the soil moisture never really got there. I didn't get enough rain. So I'm going to go to beans and I'm going to hold those for a while. Oh, now I'm going to go to cotton. You know, if, if I miss, I'm either, I'm either thinking about doing, doing some sort of forage or I'm just going to say, I'm, I'm going to get ready for wheat and I'm going to be really ready for wheat this yeah. next year. Yeah. So you mentioned, the fertilizer that that's uh, that's going to go into the crop and making that decision, Brian. Where are we with with uh, the fertilizer world right now? Oh boy, hot, air, hot air balloon, and they're pouring the fire tip right now. Yeah, it's 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 ugly beyond terms. I mean, I think I was up in Alva on Friday, and the reports, new reports on all the fertilizer prices up anywhere between ten and twenty percent. Right. We'll expect another hike in ten or twenty percent. I would expect as things move forward, and mm-hmm. so um, we're. <clears throat> I know liquid selling in different places right now. UAN is a, a buck ten to a buck twenty a pound of nitrogen right now. Yeah. Uh, urea is ninety to a dollar. Gas is eighty to ninety, yeah. uh, if not over a dollar right now. And uh, so, potash That's- is going to go up, and FOSS is going to go up. That, I can promise you, potash and FOSS will go up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the guys are doing on their own farms, but I've just uh, started getting information in on our testing ag performance solution mm-hmm. trial, where these guys tell me how much fertilizer they want on their corn, and the rates have been cut back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because and I upped on, ours. Yeah, on a, on that contest is a hundred. It's fifteen hundred dollars yeah. a ton for for um, ammonia, and we're going to strip till that in a month. And so guys have started telling me how much they want. Yeah, and it's considerably less than what they were asking for last year and the year before that. And part of that is that the data from last year showed that the end rates weren't really all that proportional mm-hmm. to profit because marketing and all these other things, hybrid selection and the efficiency of those hybrids and all that affect it more than how much fertilizer you put out. Now, granted, the highest yielding treatments had good fertility applied to them a couple hundred pounds in but uh guys are foregoing that anhydrous right now and i assume that they're going to supplement it you know with fertigation or whatever so it's kind of interesting to see that project tying in you know 
eight hundred dollars a ton. Yep. That pour that's the coals yep. to it. Fifteen hundred dollars a ton. Yeah. That's ninety two cent nitrogen right there for gas. Yeah, that's wow. pretty freaking expensive. So you know, that's <laughs> yeah. That's where I mean the whole everybody just talked about earlier late. But then again on the wheat stuff, you know, I've had a lot of guys talking about, man, that nitrogen's expensive on wheat. It is so expensive. And I look at it it's like you've got a yellow field. Yeah. Your your wheat is yellow. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to put on 200 pounds or even 150 pounds. If you put on 50 or 60 pounds on yellow wheat right now, you're probably going to have a really good return on investment, meaning that conversion might be down to 1.5 pounds of in per bushel. Yeah. It could even be as bad as two, but it's going to be efficient. And I don't know, if I've got a dollar twenty-five nitrogen, let's say worst case, and I, I get two pounds in per bushel, that's 250. I've got in per bushel. What's, what's the bushel wheat right now, Jay? No, 980. 980. Let's say I get eight bucks. That's yeah. still six over. Yeah. There's some there's some opportunity, especially on yellow wheat out there right now. Yeah. So with that said, that's this crop. This if we're crop. thinking everything stays the same, where next year at planting date, or what what what? That's I, in some ways that's too far ahead to look at that. But but I mean, no. th- th- thinking in the soil, what what does the picture look like for? inputs that need to go in with next if, year's crop if your air seeder or drill doesn't have the capability to do fertilizer get that capability and yep. order it now because it's going to take six months to put it on mm-hmm. yeah well so what what about what about summer crops i mean we talked about planting day and stuff like that i think this is where we were going the last podcast on inputs but <laughs> no you know th- yes um <laughs> but you know everything's expensive you know uh Chemical herbicides expensive, fungicides expensive, insecticides expensive, or not even available. (laughs) Um, You know, growers looking to decrease costs. How do they do it with from a fertility standpoint? Like, what what is what do you tell folks to to do when when they have to decrease costs? My big thing is one. uh, I've told you this. If if you've never sold a sample, get a composite yesterday do that much if you got a composite from the last three years get a zone if you got a zone from the last three years get a grid whatever it takes to get one more level and i would be i'd never you guys probably would agree i don't talk about nitrate soil tests very often that's not something i look at or really give much consideration to but if gas is 90 cents a pound of in i'm at least intrigued with what's at 6 to 12 or 6 to 18 inches with the deep sample yeah. And if I come up and I show 40 to 50 pounds of nitrate at depth, yeah, I'll give 20 or 30 pounds of credit. Yeah, That's 20 to 25 bucks of product per acre that I'm crediting that I know. If it's empty, that also tells me that, man, I'm, I'm going to need everything I need to look at my conversion. I need to make sure that I'm in on that. Uh, Fertility-wise, man, have that composite soil sample. If you're anywhere near six or below six five five to six you better have a starter i don't care corn cotton soil you need some phosphorus in there and you need it to figure out to be compensating for that ph issue um same thing if your phosphorus is 32 ppm if it's between 27 to, to 35 ppm on a composite that starter there's going to be areas of the field that need it because if your composite's a six your field probably goes from a 5 to 7 ph if your composite's a 32 ppm it probably goes from a 10 to a 60 and so a little bit of starter has a lot of value in those ranges. Now, if, if your pH is high or your phosphorus is already high as a whole, then then don't worry about it. And my one, one deal is, so you got the nitrate, consider deep sampling for your corn, sorghum, and cotton. Give 
a portion and two if you have a consultant making your fertility recs so whether it's crop quest whether it's you know a private ask and they use yield if your yield gold changes your p and k recommendations that means they're using a replacement value hmm. it's not just soil test it is replacement which means if you say you want more they're going to replace more because you're removing more that is absolutely fine for high-yielding crops and low fertilizer cost. <laughs> I'm not saying get away from that replacement if you're if you're high-end, but you don't have to do a one-for-one. One. You ask them, what replacement are you doing? Do 30%. Do 40%. You can still do the sufficiency by that. You That gives you the, the, the added um, crop removal. It's a CYA. That, that makes sure if you're doing crop removal, you are never, ever going to under-fertilize a crop. Because the removal rates are above that of the sufficiency, unless you're at a zero. Mm-hmm. And so pull that down, pull it from 100% or 75% replacement down to 50 or 30% replacement, adjust those values, make sure you got it on where you need it. But we don't, this year of all, we don't need to replace 100% removal in any of our crops as I see it. Well, so let me ask you a question on, on you know, you've, you've shown with wheat that, you know, the more fertilizer you put, at joining or around joining or even a little bit later, the better, you know, mm-hmm. trying to get away from that up yeah. front. You know, you've seen that very similar thing with sorghum that you, you know, a good split is better than all up front. And Bill Ron's saying that with corn. Mm-hmm. So our, our folks that are going out in corn and sorghum with the, like you were saying, the cost is bound to go up. Yeah. Is it, is it better to go with up front now and get cheaper fertilizer or get better efficiency, but more expensive fertilizer in season? Brian. Yeah, Jason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Brian. Are you going to get a stand on that crop? Am I going on a field that has no subsoil moisture? It's in Elk City, Oklahoma. (laughs) (laughs) No pre-plant. So I'd look at it this way. If I've got really good subsoil moisture on a deep, well-drained ground and everything looks good, bottom ground, get it on. If I'm out there up in northwest Oklahoma and I've got three or four inches of moisture in the top and I've got nothing below that, I'm not putting inputs into that crop. I'm mm. I'm sorry. I will I will maybe lose ten cents a pound of in or, or pay ten or fifteen cents more per pound, but I'm not gonna invest a whole lot on something that I have no no water in that fuel tank until we fill up. Yeah. And so so it to me is and it could be filled by field, right? Mm-hmm. And so if I've got that field that's always a producer I want deep soil sample, just see what's there. If I can get cheap nitrogen, and nitrogen might go down. Yeah. It might go up. It might stay the same. I don't know. I'm yeah. not Kim Anderson. That's <laughs> so, 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 so to that side, do you buy your a third nitrogen a third? A third, a third, a third, a third. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a third, a third, a third. That's a funny joke. The, I, and, you know, I'm not a huge, like, summer cr- crops, you know, and, and unless I'm fertigating uh-huh. under irrigation or something like that. The timing and ability to get that fertilizer yep. out there and catch a good rain is pretty sketchy for me. Yeah. Uh, and so generally, I like you know, I'm pretty conservative in how much I put out there. Yep. But I'm gonna mostly most of the time put it out there pre-plant. But this year, if I were growing a like mm-hmm. corn or Milo or or something like that that needed plenty of nitrogen, I would I would look at it. <laughs> later in the season yeah. and see what is actually going to happen because that's a you know if we can make 
80 bushel corn, yeah. even 50, 60 bushel corn yeah. or Milo or whatever, you know, that's not bad. No. But if it zeroes out and I got a hundred damn dollars an acre and nitrogen, mm-hmm. that's pretty sketchy. Yeah. That's only 80 pounds of N too, by the way. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> right. and, and so, well, you know, if you can forego that application to see yeah. if you're going to make well, something. Th- this is my deal too. The forego the application, because again, this is for the ground that doesn't have good soil motion uh, profile right now. Yeah, I'm not going to worry about going in season whether it rains in or not. Yeah, because if I make the decision to go in season, that means we've received a moisture we're probably going to keep. Yeah, if it doesn't get rained in, the crop's dead anyways. Yeah, it's true. I ain't making it. Yeah, and so get a stand, see what's under you. Do you get some building? Uh, and and that's one of the sorghum projects we've had. We call it the Burn Baby Burn project, where we try to kill sorghum with different over-the-top fertilizer application. So, you know, flat fanning on, 20 gallons UAN at 100-degree weather. Yeah. Wow. That sounds dumb. We'll lose yield that way. <laughs> yeah. But but we also tried streamers on 30s and, and 60s and drop nozzles and uh, Schaefer T-bars. We've, any way you could apply liquid fertilizer and dry, because we broadcast over the top urea and we do it down row. I mean, we had 12 different methods of applying nitrogen. We waited till it was hot, midday, low humidity, to see how much impact we could have and really a streamer nozzle um dropped or not dropped on 60s or 30s we we just tattered the leaves and it moved on so we're gonna yeah. just could care less that's it you know i've done that in experiments like i've sprayed it over, mm-hmm. over the top and it always makes you nervous and i try i i don't do it like for experiments that i'm real worried about but like if if somebody you know didn't get fertilizer out then i've put it out you mm-hmm. know what v6 v8 or something like that and i've just it burns the crap out of the leaves and but it comes back and it does better than it would have done the head and not fertilized mm-hmm. and we're talking yeah that's been years ago actually since i've done that that was probably during the drought the yeah. last go around because you know i was like ah what it's not gonna do? grow yeah. i'm not gonna freaking yeah. fertilize it and then it mm-hmm. you know rains oh my gosh it rains we're gonna <laughs> fertilize it and then you just burn the crap yeah. out of leaves but that I can't remember how long ago that's been. But I put some up there on the highway in Stillwater. Mm-hmm. Everybody drove by and thought I killed it. <laughs> well, that's okay. His looked awful in chick shape. Everybody I mean, saw it going down the turnpike. <laughs> you do twenty gallon audience. flat fan. <laughs> yeah, in the middle of the hot day, and we waited till like ten leaf. I mean, yeah. we were we were. What kind of yield drag time. did you get from that? So the the flat across at Chickasha is the best because we had no end response, so we could look at only yeah. the impact of the burn. The flat fan, the 20s, and the Schaefer on 20s. So we did Schaefer streamer bar and the flat fan on 20s. We cut ourselves. It went from about 130 bushel down to 100 bushel. We probably lost just 30 bushel. Yeah. Everything else maintained. Mm-hmm. So if I was on a 30 to 60-inch row space with SJ3s. Some of those streamers look bad. They they did Some look of those bad. Yeah. Looked bad for a long time. But they didn't do anything. Mm-mm. No, yeah. we did we did uh, between row. So, and I was talking to somebody. Um, I can't remember who it was. I've talked to a couple guys about this that did some of that stuff and didn't do drops and their booms. They they had a little cross row and so uh, SJ three and they had them turned long ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get that over the crop canopy and right over the whirl and that that's not good <sighs> at twenty or thirty that's gallons. That's what I was planning on doing. <laughs> <laughs> You mm. just you got flat enough ground. Just just make sure it stays between the rows. <laughs> yeah, but my rows are crooked as hell. <laughs> Get some drops. 
Have you guys seen those uh, homemade wide drops? Everybody's done some of the homemade wide drops. Those are some fun rigs. Oh, yeah. Hydraulic hose or PVC pipe. I've done that. <laughs> well, coming up, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And coming up uh, after the break, we will uh, rejoin uh, Brian and Josh, answer some hard-hitting questions about uh, the world of uh, agronomy. Jason's going to go judge land. That's what you do. Yeah, i got to go teach the children. Yeah. Teach the <laughs> I guess. Shaping they the minds of America. Yeah. We're going to go to Ohio for soil judging, so we got to get prepared. Oh, that's cool. Are they not doing the nationals here? Oh, this oh yeah. That's a, we got all kinds of soil and land and uh-huh. range judging contests going oh. on. That's why my heart beats 100 miles an hour. Right. But i got to take my collegiate team to Ohio, and then the FFA and 4-H come gotcha. here. Because that's, that's, I mean, the one in Oklahoma City, or in Oklahoma, has been here for ever time yeah i don't even yeah it's been here forever ever (laughs) i'm not gonna quote the dates or like the but it's like in the 60s or 70th that's pretty cool annual that's cool Well, well good good luck with all that and we will be back right after this and that actually helped out quite a bit i've i've had that question about planting dates for quite a while and and uh, I thought that was pretty helpful. Now, if you'd like to find out more information about what the doctors talked about, you can find it at reddirtagronomy.com. And if you have a question for the group, send us an email podcast at reddirtagronomy.com or send us a tweet. Of course, our handle is reddirtag on the Twitter sphere. Now, Dr. Josh Lofton and Dr. Brian Arnell weigh in on if this could be a good year to set out because of input prices. You are listening to the Red Dirt Agronomy Podcast. So, Josh, whenever people are thinking of, of summer crops, you know, there are people out there that, that you know, may just want to go fallow with their field. There's a difference between going fallow and just letting it set. Well, I think so. Yeah. I've... I've uh, you know, kind of been the, a big proponent of, you know, uh, most of our, most of our fields that have summer crops in it typically have a weed problem somewhere, right. you know, uh, n- not to the fault of any one producer, but you know, uh, pigweeds and Johnson grass and right. crabgrass and stuff like that. And so I've always been a big proponent. If you're going to follow out, take care of some of those problematic weeds that, that are difficult right. in a crop season. Um, and so the question you know posed is is this a good year to potentially fallow out and and i just i don't know Mm -hmm. um costs are so high um i don't know if i could justify spending money on an herbicide on a field that has no grain to it or no forage to it Uh, and so you know it's one of those things i always say it's it's a discussion that a grower and their you know their banker and and everybody has to make and man i i just brian with these 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 costs i don't i don't know if you could justify just, just glyphosate alone i don't know how you could justify even paraquat talking. alone i mean it's well, just you probably won't find paraquat yeah, so you true. got that going for you too <laughs> uh no i think the herbicide if nothing else if you're looking at following out put something in the ground that you grow as a forage swath it off yeah and use that as weed control. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And then come down and get Well, get now that early. Jason's not here, we can talk about cover crops. We can talk about cover <laughs> crops. <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah. I just 
the fallow option is just a tough one. But I would plant something you could hay off because good chance there's going to be a need for hay this year too. Yeah, yeah. That the more the more and more folks I talk about the potential hay shortage coming at us is is pretty strong, and so there's there's a potential to do something that's cost effective that might not need a tremendous mm-hmm. amount of fertilizer that might not need that herbicide that that might be able to have something in there to where we can still potentially get a good wheat crop next year yep. and and do something but yeah i i don't know if this would be a year that that i could justify doing a a real fallow which would which would involve some inputs because mm-hmm. inputs are just too astronomical with that being said what what would be I've asked you this before. Every year I ask you this, and every year you give me the 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 the, the scientific wa- watered He's down saying, generic answer. This ans- dang question, Lofton. Well, but, but, well, but in in, in what a, if it, I don't know it. That's why I well, give that, you that's, that's why you give it to me. One. But but what what are what are the strongest uh, summer crops? Knowing what, where we are right now. With the moisture situation, with the input prices, with commodity prices being what they are slash could be, what 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 is the Josh Lofton patented crystal ball say? Well, you know, Dave, the scientific name of soybean is. <laughs> I, I mean, I, it's. I mean, that's a hard one. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, a month ago or or a month and a half when we first started doing this and we were very deficient in rain and yeah. the snows we were getting weren't doing a whole lot and all that, I would have said it was a good forage sorghum, grain sorghum, cotton year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I still hold to that. I, I think it's a good year for all of those. One, because those are relatively low fertilizer inputs yeah. that we could probably get by with a little bit lower as compared to like a corn. Um Lint prices up. Lint price looks really good. Hay, we talked about there potentially being a hay shortage, and sorghum prices look to be strong, if not growing. Um, but like things, things like soybean with the moisture we've gotten, especially back east. I mean, it's it's hard to now count that out. Um, I, I think that the rain we've gotten over the last three weeks, especially the eastern side of the right. state. I mean. The the western side is is still in a much tougher scenario, but the eastern side of the state, especially the far eastern side of the state, uh, I think just soybean is a good option if if you can get chemical mm-hmm. reasonably, um, and and I think it's it's a really good option. But but the chemical cost and availability is I would make sure that one I could get glyphos. Uh, two, I could get whatever your traded product is going to be. Uh, and if not, I could get some of those conventional chemicals because if we have a good soybean year, that also means most of the time we have a good weed year. Right. So crystal ball me this. Is there a point where you'd be scared with grain sorghum? Could sugarcane aphid be a problem? Are we out of the woods with that being a major issue? Because I'm hearing word that our insecticide options are near nothing because of registration levels because of accessibility because of price so is that something you fear or you just roll with it hope 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 you don't have aphids the more the more sorghum we get across texas the the higher likelihood we might see another spike in it and and that's definitely a tom royer thing what he what he thinks um 
uh, ask me in a month, okay. you know, when when the the Rio Grande Valley's, you know, actually got a good sorghum crop up and they're starting to see things because I, I think that's usually our telltale is is if if South Texas and Northern Mexico are seeing them, then we're definitely going to see them. But, um, you know, if they're really just not even seeing things, I, I, I don't know. I don't think at this point in time, based on the last couple of years and the options we have of very good, strong varieties that um, have some degree of tolerance, I don't think that it scares me off like it would have five years ago. But um, it has to be one of those things of if if you're in those situations to where you're either A, late, or B, in the panhandle to where you inherently are later, I'm looking to see what my options are, you know, kind of kind of rolling the dice from there. But, I mean, you could say the same thing on, like, stink bugs and soy. You know, if it's a really bad stink bug year, what is the availability of some of that chemical is and, and the cost? Well, is it going to be beneficial? And I'll throw you another one sideways. We'll talk about input cost. Value proposition for narrow row beans versus wide row beans for potential seed savings, herbicide things. Is there any, should there be discussion about 30s versus 15s or 10s or? I, I mean, I'm I'm always a big proponent of plant soybeans in the, the piece of equipment you have the best singulation for. Um, because soybean are, are very critical at getting good populations down especially if you're going to ratchet down your seed cost by going down to something like seeding rate of like 100 to 90 to even 85,000. If if I have a really good piece of equipment that's on 15s that I know I'm going to get really good singulation on, I go with that. If I if the only option I have is 30s, I, I go with that. You know, what I don't want to do is waste a lot of my cost on seed which is still rather expensive in soybean uh just to get maybe a, a one last pass on glyphosate because it's gonna are, um, are we gonna have low pop mafia on soybean this year i don't i don't know if i don't know if it's gonna gain the the interest like the corn does but i think a lot of growers are coming to the realization that that 120 full season soybeans is is probably much higher than we need to be um you know the 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 big thing is I've never been a big proponent on full season beans on drill rows, but but I think that it just needs a little bit more room to grow. I don't think mm. that it's wrong. I just I like my soybeans having a little bit more room to grow. So we'll go we'll go fertility wise, and this is one thing I I wish we had the equipment to try. I could see it potentially if we're in some of the sands or the heavier ground. I would like to see us as OSU look at the air seeder model of beans on 15s with K put in between. So every other row being a potassium band. I know we do. I've got some guys that do it on sorghum with nitrogen. And yeah. it's, it's highly, it works out great. I've tried it a little bit. My equipment can't quite replicate it on K. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and I guess that was something I was going to bring up is that, is this the year to try to put as much as you can in furrow or off furrow? As opposed to broadcast applied and your P and K and stuff like that because because of cost. I mean, is this the year to if you have the availability, is this the year to try that? I would say in furrow with most things I mean, FOSS in furrow, yeah, that's fine. K you start getting it too hot with beans. Well, I mean off off row on that one, like, like a two if, by two, yeah, or 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 like what you're talking about with well, with fifteens, and you know, is this the year to try it? I think. That, I mean, this I think is a year that if you're if you have soybean, corn, or sorghum that go in on a planter, 
and you don't have two by two or want to run liquid and you want to run a dryer source, mm-hmm. you break out the old air seeder and you put it down with the air seeder ahead of time instead of broadcast. If your options are broadcast, especially in no-till versus putting it down with the air seeder, I think your value is in doing it with an air seeder. I know there's equipment cost in there and some, some repair cost and, and all that, but I think uh, that band opportunity has value. Yeah. And you could do it variable rate with that really easily. Well, and, and that, I mean, it's a good point, kind of like what you brought up with the herbicide is that, you know, the closer rows we get, the better the better control we can get because we lap a little bit earlier. Um, and, and really that's going to come down to, like I said, availability of your chemical. And, and is that worth going 15s if that's not mm-hmm. the best equipment you have to, to do the job? But that's that's going to be a grower by grower. I don't think yeah. as much field by field, but that's going to be a grower by grower basis. Um, you know, especially the later you get, the more I'm okay with those more narrow inch beans. Oh, but yeah. you know, um, I, I think one of the reasons why I'm so uh, not against it, but so hesitant for it is we. That's one place we're very deficient on data is drill row early season beans. You know, seven and a half, ten inch beans, and and you know how how you manage those, or is it any different? Do you just do the same thing like you always do? And it's it's one thing we're deficient in. We don't have a whole lot of good data on, um, so I can't make a whole lot of recommendations because we just don't have we don't have a lot of good well, data. Speculate, on it. Lofton. I mean, that's <laughs> what this podcast is about. In a perfect world, it would be. Uh, I mean. There's there's some there's some plus and minus. Like I said, if you had a if you had a really good air seeder you liked yep. and and you you knew you could get good singulation with it, and you were worried because a I can't I either can't get dicamba I can't get dicamba beans I'm worried about availability or maybe I booked two four D beans and mm-hmm. and I might not be able to get two four D this year. Am 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 I gonna? Well, I mean, that's a it's a good yeah. shot because yep. that's a. That's a good strategy of using your beans to to aid in that weed control, and I think that's a good viable option, and that's that's a venture I would take. But I mean, if, I, if I, I were going yeah. down to that, I would yeah. do it purposefully. Yeah. I wouldn't do it just because I wanted to try yeah. it. I would do it very purposefully. I mean, I'm with you. Double crop beans, I love 15s. No, there's nothing against 30s, but uh, on the double crops, I like that 15, and on sorghum too. Uh, you get, usually get a smaller plant, get get a little bit better row coverage, and you can cover acres well. But I just wondering on on the full season stuff. Well, and, and this last year was the first year we really started. Like half of our trials were on fifteens, um, just due to the fact that the, you had a lot of folks that like like you said. Now ours were on fifteen planters, but you know, like you said, we're going uh, every other row air seeder, and and are starting to see some value to that. So we're trying to adjust to that. Uh, like I said, the the biggest efficiency, at least my program has, is on drill beans. I just I don't know a whole lot of information on it because we can only go a step at a time. I guess. You know, I tried to get John Deere to help me build a a, a mini air seeder, and never quite got that to pan out. Working on it though. Got some other things. We're working on a a replicate because I'd really like to see that where we can have multiple commodities and replicate that. It may not have to be like a true air seeder style, but we have something where we can have multiple commodities choosing to go front gang, back gang, blend it in that way, and do some more of that work. But that's got to be built. So Yeah. So with that, you were talking um, full season and double crop soybeans. Are, are there benefits? I mean, there there, there are benefits to, to doing a double crop uh, soybean, but is there a benefit to have the full uh, growing season with that? 
I know that's kind of a vague question, but but I mean, r- r- rather, I guess it would equate to having soybeans but pushing the actual planting date back. Yeah. So, you know, there there's a big consensus. There's there's a couple of grower, couple of growers, couple of consultants. We actually had one of those said consultants on here a couple of weeks ago <laughs> that that really even likes what you would consider full season, not behind wheat, to just go in mid June. Um, the further west you get, the the more that that system makes sense, mm-hmm. um, because we we typically don't have those very very uh, predictable rainfall events from late June through early or through much of July until we get into that mid to late August. Uh, you know the temperatures are really high, and whenever you plant early season, then you have this system that flowering and pond filling kind of reached that that stage to where right. it goes through during that time and so there's some justifiable um there's some there's some positivity to that of of being that be the only time you plant soybeans in western oklahoma um i go to the the one thing is that that's a very hard rotation you you typically will have to go potentially out of wheat or have very very low grown wheat in the fall because you are going back to harvesting mid to late October. Right. So you're not going to be playing wheat at, at best until probably late October, early November. And so you'd have to either fallow out, go to another full season crop, which is, is fine. I mean, I'm, I'm all for that. Um, the other thing is the predictability of rain in June. Right. I mean, some years we have great double crop planting and some years like last year, I wasn't sure we were going to get a stitch of double crop in. And last year, our double crop soybeans for like up in that like K County area and stuff like that really just didn't do well because when we got rain, we got like flooding rain. Right, right. Uh, other than that, we were dry. Yeah. And it was hot. Yeah. So, you know, they got this area where it was too dry to plant. Now it's too wet. Now it's too wet. Now it's too wet. Now it's too dry again. Right, right. Um, so it's it's kind of, we reached that. And it's kind of like what Jason was saying earlier. The later you go into, the the tighter these windows become of it being too wet to too dry in a very short amount of time. And especially for soybean, that is the, a, a die cot that has that growing point above ground. We need to get those cotyledons out of the ground effectively mm-hmm. if we have any sort of surface crusting or sidewall crusting and Brian uh, Brian Pugh they gave a great um, discussion about this at winter crop school is if we have these situations to where we get the ground dry out and we get a hard layer on soybeans that could very well limit your your root growth and and basically saw that the first restriction we got in soybean is kind of basically where the roots went to. So it's it's a system that I think physiologically works out better late season as long as you can get the early season going better. Where on the opposite side of the coin, usually our full season or our true full season has a little bit better time establishing because we are in cooler conditions. We don't get that crusting uh, near as often. And but it, it meets challenges later in the season. So it's it's once once again one of those things, and I think the more no-till you have, the more residue you have available and stuff like that, the better that later planting becomes on the western side. Um, but we've worked with growers on the eastern side, and basically they've gone – some of them have gone away or minimized some of their double crop because just the yields they can get on the eastern side from full season are just too high to, to denote even – doing many double crop acres so um it, it just wasn't worth the the drop in yield uh, on a normal year with soybean prices compared to what wheat prices were this year's a little bit different right but you know it's one of those situations that 
um, depending on where you are in the state, you know, like our growers around here often say that double crop is about the same yielding as full season. Those folks over east see that 20, 20% yield drag with double crop because it is planted later and behind wheat and, and some of these cross conditions. So now I, I've, you were just talking about, you know, the, the, the flooding condition, flooding, 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 and then how it just dried out after that. I still remember a couple of years ago, we were down in, uh, down at Perkins mm-hmm. and I've never, I've, I've, I guess I've seen it, but I've never really paid attention to it, but a drowned so- soybean plant yeah. because it just had too much water and, and you don't think of that, but the elevation between, I remember you showing me the elevation of this plant and then this plant, mm-hmm. and and it was just a couple of inches, but yeah. still, it got too much water that way. Yeah, and, and that's that's what we see a, a lot of times in these very these fields that have this topography that yeah. we have these low spots and stuff like that. Is that you just had those those bad spots in the field for for us in our our trials right, that right. that ends up being very bad. But you know, soybean because of the way that it does grow, especially when it's really young. You know, a 24-hour no-oxygen period can be very detrimental, um, you know, on corn and stuff like that where we have a little bit deeper and we typically see these flooding rains once it's established. Right. And we're more worried about nitrogen and right. denitrification. That that typically takes that 48 to 72 hours to get to the anaerobic conditions where we see denitrification. But if you're talking about a living plant sitting in a pool of water basically for 24 hours, then... Yeah, we'll start to see that that cell death here there pretty quickly, and and it, it's one of those things that last year with, and it's not even that it's you get big washes in the field where you just lose seed and and stuff like that, and it's it's one of those things. The more residue you have, the more infiltration, the better it's going to end up being, and we don't see that those issues near as much as. I never really knew that you you know anaerobic also. We she I, I went to camp with her. And it, it was no, a no, camp no, no. back in no, uh, no, 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 no. Her name was Beth Robic. I'm, I'm thinking of someone else. I'm sorry. It's not quite anhydrous. It's but not I tried. quite anhydrous. I, yeah. Terrible, terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I watched too much Charles Barkley this weekend, so it's okay. <laughs> well, of course, this is being recorded on Monday, so so we may or may not know who who has won the national championship. We, 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 def- national we champ- definitely won't because it's next Monday. Okay. Okay. I've, I've watched two games and both of them next have been Sunday, amazing whatever. games, by the way. Yeah. So, uh, I forget where I was going with that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's terrible. I, I guess your bracket has Lost been pathway. <laughs> We talked about lost pathways and nitrogen. This is just the podcast lost pathway. <laughs> just gone downhill <laughs> so we need jason back <laughs> <laughs> that says something right there <laughs> he was cracking me up earlier oh. anyway um <laughs> <laughs> so with which no, no no brian with with the uh prices of everything you said there there will be limited availability for some of the the products what are 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 you know, when you go to the doctor and they and, and they give you this is the what you need, and you go to the pharmacist and the pharmacist says, "Hey, actually, why don't you try this generic?" Mm-hmm. Are there air quotes generic solutions to the uh, to, to to coming up with the uh, the, yeah, the so, nutrients? Well, not necessarily. So the nutrients isn't going to necessarily be a, a short necessarily. We're going to have a, a high price. What I was talking about is more some of the inputs as far as the IPM, right? Accessibility, price, uh, re- registrations being dropped, uh, things like that, and and 
a lot of the stuff is the availability isn't going to be taken care of because, okay, it's the availability of the name brand and the it's the a primary component, mm-hmm. like yellow phosphorus isn't being mined in China or something like that. Ah. So it, it's that there's underlying components of the major products that are just not. And so what the stuff I've been hearing, you know, is like we actually started coming into these problems two, three years ago. But we had such a back supply, and we'll also see, and so now we're just running the back supply. We'll also see that there's a lot of products that we we just recently saw one that went doubled its price. Right. Well, that price match, that price was actually coming up to the price point that that product's been in the EU for the last four or five years. Oh. It's a high demand in the EU. So what historically happened with a lot of products, um, pesticides, insecticides, and such, is that they get sold at a a high value to EU and other places, and we're the dumping grounds. Mm-hmm. Whatever's left over comes to the U.S. to a cheap value, and so we get we get it at a lower value. Uh, whatever's left over, right? And so we've been storing that. Now we're now competing with those others. So why sell it to us for cheap when you can go straight to the EU for one twenty? We're now paying one twenty instead of sixty. So I want to go back because I was meaning to ask a question earlier. So you talked about. So if we're going into wheat next year, let, let's say we harvest this and we're, we're going to fallow out and go into wheat next year. Um, because of the price of phosphorus, and, you know, we've been band-aiding a lot of our wheat pH acres with, with mm-hmm. you know, in furrow. Yeah. Is now the time to look for the lime or, or you know? Last year was. Absolutely. I mean. Well, yeah. I mean, for, for next year. For next I mean, year. Since so, yeah. we can't band-aid it for as cost-effective as we were. Yeah, I mean, we're looking at the Band-Aid. It took 20 to 30 pounds of FOSS to compensate for aluminum toxicity at low pH. 25 to 30 pounds per acre. That's on top of the sufficiency needs. Mm-hmm. Well, that's now 25 or 30 bucks. Yeah. You're now talking a ton of lime. Yeah. Go buy a ton of lime and fix the problem. Plus, okay... Now we've got the acidity on the FOSS impacting that. We also have the acidity impacting atrazine, impacting sulfonylureas, impacting our herbicides. So, you know, if we want to be more efficient, we we got to look at that. And the, you know, cost of lime will likely go up. Yeah. Uh, that's more of a diesel issue. That's more of a, a production cost issue. But it's not going to be the same magnitude as glyphos. Yeah. Pound per pound increase, it's not going to be so... Yeah, so it's it's one of those situations that you know we've u- we've used as band aids for so many years that you know now's the time we can get rid yeah. of the band aids. Yeah, and you know the latest economic we did the Economist ran the numbers that used to say that it was economic to band aid mm-hmm. FOSS for low pH ran the same models with last year's phosphorus price. This is last year's, so this is sixty five cents. It was no longer economic. The other question, and you know, from the question I asked you earlier, is uh, based on <laughs> you make it sound like he's not answering it. You're, you're, no, 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 no. Earlier, earlier today, you're like a lawyer. Oh. Um, I'm going to ask you again the exact same question. <laughs> Repeat your name, <laughs> right? Can we circle back around to uh, um, no? But on the the value of protein versus just bulk wheat this year. Mm. Where, yeah. where do you where do you think that is? Like, do you think protein is going to be as valued as it has been in the past, or do you think just getting grain 
I'll, is, is going to be. I'll play the part of Jason Warm. Boom. Answer Boom. that. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> mm, let's see. All right. So, so mm, take that. Uh, that's my Bill Ron. Um, the the there's a couple aspects. So let's talk about our marketplace. Mm-hmm. If we look at the Oklahoma marketplace, what we have, we're going to have low acres. We've lost acres more than likely. Um, they're already starting to zero those out. So you got that issue going in. The acres that are in, mm-hmm. I've talked to some of the commercial guys. They feel like we're under fertilized at this point. Mm. So if we make a crop, if we make a crop, that crop, a good crop, we're probably going to be on the low approach side for anybody that didn't manage it. If it stops raining next week, we're going to have high protein wheat because we don't have much of it. Right. And so we're at that. So our few, if we can hold out the crop we have, there's a chance that there's going to be a fair amount of low protein wheat coming in in Oklahoma. That would signal value for protein in hard red winter except for the whole soft the spring wheat country mm-hmm. we don't know what spring wheat's going to look like if we have a really big spring wheat crop these millers and bakers are already looking at maybe a, a transition to more springs into their 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 platform when we have a lot of springs we need low protein hard wheats to balance that out mm-hmm. and so if we have a bad spring wheat season, then that means we're going to need some high pros in the hard red. Unfortunately, you know, this is going to be developing after the fact that a lot of decisions are made. We might be able to make some anthesis in applications on some yellow wheat to build it and to sell it to that, but we're looking at some of these bigger market trends that we just don't know. We're, we're going to be short crop, it looks like, worldwide, no matter what. But as far as what the bakers and millers need to reach their end quality, what they need to blend out, if there's a big spring wheat year, we're going to need bulk, lower protein wheat. Uh, If that goes short, then they're just going to need protein overall, and they just need protein. A a little mix of both. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. depends. I I would say that if you – I don't know. You'd have to talk to them. I would be reaching out to the local millers and bakers right now and say, hey – what are you looking at? You know, what do you need? Can we talk about contracting and looking at putting some some inputs into it? Because yeah, you you sent that tweet this weekend that got a lot of good discussion on on the value of test weight and the value mm-hmm. of protein versus forage yield versus grain yield, and you know it's it's one of those things. The more you hear of long term wheat reserves being sold off right now, yeah. And eventually we're going to, I guess, potentially we're going to hit this situation where we're just going to be deficient in just wheat, wheat. like just yep. berries. We need yep. more berries. We just need more wheat, yeah. Western Kansas, you know, Western Oklahoma doesn't look good. China doesn't look good. Australia doesn't look good. South America doesn't look good. So, yeah, we're, we're looking at a short year, um, assuming Russia and Ukraine will be short too. Well, and there's that whole thing that, what was it, over a million – on the negative side from Ukraine on what yeah. would be harvested. So they look to be short as well. I was talking with someone the other day about that, and they, they, they were telling me about, you know, Russia and Ukraine. And I said, yeah, a, a, a lot of the reason prices are where they're, you know, somebody outside of ag, I said a, a lot of the reasons why prices are where they are are because 
you know those those two countries ship a lot of wheat to Egypt, mm-hmm. and they have in, in all of the the countries that cannot grow grain like that, and and so our prices here are reflecting the the potential for that, mm-hmm. and so with that said, are you seeing input prices, or or not input prices, but but decisions on inputs being altered because of that? Oh, I promise you $10 wheat's altering decisions on, yeah. on yeah. inputs right now. Yeah. Guys that would never have run nitrogen this late are calling the co-ops and saying, hey, what can I get? What can I get on? So there, there's yeah. there's absolute questions. And, and I've said the same thing. I am making recommendations or at least suggestions that I wouldn't normally make mm-hmm. because we're not $354 wheat. There's... wheat. So where I would say, you know, typically most of our wheat doesn't benefit from a lot of sulfur in the main body of the state. You know, I would look at my soil test. My soil test is shorter than normal. Right. And I I wouldn't be afraid of 5 to 10 pounds on good ground just to ensure that I've got that there to make good protein and good wheat. So that's here in in, in north central Oklahoma. But you were saying there's... There's wheat in, say, western Kansas. It doesn't mm-hmm. look great. What what should they be? I mean, are, are are they game over? We're out of the game. You know, move on to the next county. That that's what I what I'm hearing. Right. Okay. I've I've seen some pretty disgusting pictures from western Oklahoma, wow. western Kansas. Uh, tales of you know this was two weeks ago and I need to check up, but more than a couple producers that are anywhere between eighty to ninety percent loss. Really. So, like I said, I need to check up on those guys to make sure they're they're still rolling. But well, there's nothing like ending the uh, podcast on a positive note like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the good thing, Dave, is we we have for two thirds of the state we've gotten some nice rains, yeah. and so yeah. we have we have some wheat that's looking gorgeous out right. there, and we have some some potential on the mm-hmm. summer crops. It's just. Um, it's one of those situations that just because the commodity price is high doesn't doesn't mean we just need to jump off the cliff doing a whole yeah. lot of the um, extra stuff. Do right. do what we need to do to get good commodities in and out of the ground, and and um, you know then we'll be we'll be pretty good. So I mean we've covered a lot in this. Any yeah. in, any big takeaways? Diversification. Yeah. Uh, just because of the risk of our soil moisture, know what your inputs are. Have a plan as far as if you if you know what you're going to do as far as crop goes, and you've not talked to your chemical supplier, mm-hmm. you called them yesterday. Yeah, it, that needs to be lined out. Your chemical guy rep person needs to have know what you need, and they're going to be booking it for you right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because we're right at the door for a lot of things. You know, we're talking about late season fungicide mm-hmm. applications and wheat. Yep. And, you know, we're talking about summer crop planting and stuff like that. So now's the t- now's the time to make really good friends with your dealer and your suppliers. Thank you for listening in on the conversation on the Red Dirt Agronomy podcast. And if you'd like to join the conversation, send us an email, podcast at reddirtagronomy.com, or send us a tweet. Of course, our handle is Red Dirt Ag. To find any of the resources that we talked about today on the podcast, visit reddirtagronomy.com. There you will find show notes, or you can listen to past episodes too. For Dr. Josh Lofton, Dr. Jason Warren, and Dr. Brian Arnell, I am Dave Deacon. You know, I ought to just go ahead and get my PhD so that way I can be cool like those guys. 
And of course, we want to thank you for listening. The proceeding is a copyrighted recording of AgNow Media LLC 2022. And yes, all rights are reserved.